12 years ago, 13 years ago, I, uh, I was sitting in, in a coffee shop across from um, my now wife, and we had this amazing conversation. Three days before that, we were uh, hanging out at Calvin College and talking about um, life, and a couple of things had happened uh, to lead us up to that point. Uh, one, my mom had been um, chattering and talking with other people, and um, two, some friends were kind of meddling in my life, and, um, and they had been, you know, prompting these conversations uh, with me about, hey, what's up with you and Julie? What's up with you and Julie? And, I, and I've shared this story, and Julie has shared this story, but I just want to start off with it again this morning, uh, because for me, it was a transformational moment where a very ordinary place in my life and an ordinary thing like a crush became a very transformational experience. Um, And so Julie and I had been friends for over two years. And uh, during that time, I I never really had the thought like, um, hey, this, I could, I would love to like date Julie or something. She was just a friend really to me, um, almost like a a sister. and one time I did say, when we were in Spain together, we, sem- we spent a semester in Spain together, and, and on a bike ride, uh, you know, like you have these conversations when you're 20 years old, and uh, somebody, a classmate said, if you had to marry somebody from our group on this trip, on this semester abroad, who would you marry? And I was like, honestly, nobody. <laughs> and he's like, no, you have to. You have to marry somebody. Who would it be? And I was like... I don't know. I guess Julie. Okay. So, okay, yeah. I know that's flattering. Um, But the beauty of it was we developed this really great friendship over the course of of, um, many years. And we hung out and played cards and talked about life and about God and where we dreamed we would be in the world. And um, it just had this amazing friendship. And then this one day, three days before the talk at Johnny's, God was doing some stuff in my life and had started it in Spain and kind of woke me up on this park bench on February 9, 2001. And then later that spring was like doing stuff and all that summer, like drawing me, you know, closer to him and like challenging me through all these different things. And um, I was in this moment where prayer all of a sudden became like a, a real conversation between me and God. Not that it wasn't before that, but more and more I was praying about things. Things that before I would just like jump in and either do or not do. I was like, oh, let me pray about it. And not just in, as an excuse to say no. Okay. Now prayer, we can easily use it as an excuse to say no, where it's like somebody asks us to do something and we say, well, let me pray about it. And what we really mean is like, I'm just going to hope that you don't ask me again. And, um, but that's not what this was. This was like a real, I'm going to pray about this. So um, for those two days, I just, uh, you know, Julie and I were talking, how can we pray for each other? And then I don't know where it came from, but I just like, I think because everyone kept pestering me, I was like, well, why don't we pray about us? And she was like, what? And so we just, um, we prayed, we spent two days and we were just, we didn't like pray the whole time, but when it would come up in our mind, we'd just be like, God, you show me, you show me what you're doing here. And so here was the magic of it. We got together in Johnny's, and I was looking at this, this amazing woman, and it was like I said to her, it was like these scales fell off my eyes, and I just said, I don't know how to tell you this, but there's nobody else in this world that I want to serve with my life, 
And she said, if you had a ring right now, I would say yes. (laughs) And then we were like, so are we dating? (laughs) I guess so. And that was the start of our relationship. And so we were basically like zero to a hundred overnight um, because we just, we knew that was what we had been called to and it was so clear at that point. Um, and it was, it was an experience in prayer um, where we just said, God, you show us. You show us what you're doing. Um, you show us where you're at work. And, and the beauty of it was, it was like, like scales that fell off and we saw just so clearly. And I was like, ah, oh, I'm an idiot. How did I not see, but now I see. And um, it was this beautiful experience that we always come back to and um, we share with students. And they, in Julie, in her Spanish class, they know that they can get like a free period of not having any work to do when they get her on that topic. So kids all the time would like divert her in her class and she would share that story. But for me, it's continually a reminder of just how um, beautiful uh, prayer is in our walk with God, how, how he shows us and wants to reveal us things. He wants to reveal to us things. But you know what I had never done before that? I had never asked him. I had never asked him, God, why don't you show me? Why don't you, why don't you reveal to me your will? And this author, Mark Batterson, asked the question and says, how many prayers go unanswered Because they go unasked. Ooh. How many prayers go unanswered because we've never asked God? There's a story in in Luke 18 about a judge who's who's not even really a good person. And Jesus tells this story to his disciples to teach them that they should always pray and never stop asking. He says there was this widow, and she went before this judge who was just like kind of a slime ball. You get the impression from the story that he's, he's not good. And she goes before him, and she pleads with him for justice. And Jesus says because of her incessant asking, her persistent begging for justice, this judge, who's not even a good dude, gives it to her. Now, if you've ever been around children around Halloween— you know exactly what this sounds like. You know exactly what it sounds like the day after Halloween when you have a bag of candy and you're thinking to yourself, why in the world did we do this? Why do we do this? Every five seconds, our three-year-old, die piece of candy? No. Die piece of candy, please. No, I said no already. No means no. No means no, Right? Daddy, piece of candy, please. Okay, just one. <laughs> just one. Go away. Go play with your, your, you know, which makes me, I realize, a terrible parent. You're a bad dad. I know. I already know that. We've been really busy, okay? I can't handle the crying and the begging. Just the begging is just like overwhelming. Daddy, please, candy. And then my, eight, my eight-year-old, I shouldn't talk about my kids so much in sermons, but she's way smarter. Dad, could I get a piece of candy? No. What if I clean up my room? For one piece, I'll do it for two. What two pieces? I'll take one small one and one big one. Okay. 
Yeah. <laughs> the one just found out that she has some power on the ground kicking and screaming at certain points of the day, and the other one will negotiate, which we think is a really great trait. Jesus says, that's what prayer is like. And if this judge, who's wicked and a slime bag, will give a request, how much more God, who loves us, when we ask? How much more won't he give to his children in accordance with his will? What prayer is God waiting for you to ask? What gift is he waiting to give to you? What spiritual gift does he long to give you? This church was birthed in a place of prayer. I did something really exciting a few weeks ago. I sat down and I read the council minutes from the late 90s. Exciting stuff. You ever read minutes? Many of you in here were mentioned in those minutes. And you all made decisions about the direction of this community that came out of a place of prayer. There was a Saturday morning group that started once a month. The council and staff and pastors would get together and they would just spend time praying. And this community was birthed out of that. Many of you experienced renewal in your life. It flowed out of this place of prayer, of asking God to move and then watching him respond to your fervent prayers. What a beautiful thing to be swept up in that river. We're in a series called Open. It's about being open to what God is doing. And this morning we're talking about the spiritual discipline of prayer. I want you to go with me to Acts 1. We're taking stories from Acts 1, or from Acts And we're going to get to Acts 10, but I first want to start here in Acts 1. Just notice what Jesus says. He comes back, he's resurrected, and he comes to his disciples. And and he's trained them over the course of three years, right? He's trained them, he's taught them, um, he's shared with them what the kingdom of God is like. He's he's done miracles in their presence. Uh, You know, he's, he's blessed people, he's... He's taught about the kingdom. And now in Acts 1, he says to them, you would think you would say, go do everything I told you. Go, 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 go. Go do it, right? Matthew 28. Go and make disciples of the nations. You know what to do. Do it. And that I usually hear that from God. Go, go. And I'm ready. I'm like, yes, yes. Jesus says, hurry up. Verse 4. He gave them this command. Do not leave. Don't go. They're, they're hanging out and they're like, yeah, 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 what are we going to do? He says, don't go, don't leave. Wait for the gift my father promised, which you heard me speak about. Wait for the gift. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Don't hustle and run and go and get ahead of yourself, my tendency personally. Just wait. There's a mountain to move. Let me move it for you. There's lives to be changed. Let me change them. You come alongside my work in the world. Verse 8. The disciples get off track right before that in verse 6. They want to know, hey, so so is this like when you're going to come back and like reign and be king and stuff? They get all like, you know, sidetracked. Again, Jesus says like, just shh. You'll receive power 
when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Don't worry about the times and the dates, verse 7. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And then you'll be my witnesses. Once God has revealed to you himself, once he's revealed to you his plan, once he's revealed to you his will, once you've waited. I remember when I came to the river 11 years ago, there were six values that this church had. One of the values of the church was waiting. It's like, what? That's not a value. Yeah, that's a value. That was a value of this community. We wait on God in prayer. We wait for him to act. And then we respond in faith. Someday, I I can't wait to tell you the story of the home that we are currently in and how God acted in such a clear and powerful way we were trying to, I was trying to like get us on the other side of town, trying to move, trying to move, trying to conjure up like deals and look for things and like, um, and then all of a sudden it was just like, just here. And God moved us. Verse 14, um, we get an impression and this is where the book of Acts comes out of. Verse 14 in in chapter 1 says the disciples essentially um, listened to Jesus' teaching and they all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers, okay? So um, the thing I want you to be thinking about this morning, the invitation. What's the prayer that you haven't asked or you got tired of asking? What's the prayer, the one thing that this morning God can give to you, put on your heart to ask? What's the one thing that that you maybe go, you know what, Um, this is like, this is the dream. I just hope for, for healing for this person in my life. I just, I hope for restoration for this relationship. Um, I hope for this in my marriage. I hope for this with my kids. I, I long for this in Syria. I, I want to see God's kingdom come in this place. This is the addiction. This is the addiction. I don't want it anymore. I want to pray for that. I want to pray for this person to come to Christ, this neighbor, this coworker. Because what God does through prayer is transform ordinary places into transformational spaces. In prayer, God takes just the mundane, just a, a, a bench. And he transforms it into a place of life change. An ordinary, normal place becomes a transformational space. Turn with me to Acts 10. Acts 10, the author gave a ton of space to this story. Because in it, we see that the gospel is indiscriminate. It's for the Jews. It's for the Gentiles. But I want to focus just for a moment on what's happening here in prayer. Cornelius, in 10 verse 2, Cornelius is an officer in the Roman army. He's a centurion. He's in charge of many. Uh, he's a high-ranking official. Think um, I don't know if this is accurate, but think Norman Schwarzkopf. Okay, I don't know why that name, but just think, 
You ever seen the Chris Farley when he does General Norman Schwarzkopf? Hilarious. But think Norman Schwarzkopf, all right? Like somebody, he's tough. He's tough. You don't want to mess with this dude. He's in charge of a lot of people. But he's got like this secret life. Okay? Cornelius has a secret life. And when he's not like all armored up and like telling brothers what to do in battle, he's like a big prayer guy. He doesn't even know Jesus yet, which raises a thousand questions for me about, wait, so God is answering prayers of people who don't even know his son, Jesus Christ. Well, if you believe the Bible, by the way, sidebar, um, if you don't want your life to change, don't read the Bible. Okay? If you want to just have a nice, neat, packaged life, then don't read this thing. Because it will disrupt that. It'll challenge that. In my life, it has been a real wrecker of comfort and security. A ruiner of, you know, the normal. So here it goes. Cornelius and all his family, verse 2, were devout and God-fearing, and he gave generously to those in need. This is what Scott talked about last week, the, um, the discipline of generosity, of giving, right? We give it away because why? Well, it doesn't belong to us anyway. Many of you have taught me that, um, have taught me that it's not mine anyways, and, and I can't outgive God. And that's a mantra here. If you're not a part of that, culture, I want to encourage you, man. Scott, listen to the sermon from last week. Um, but it says he was, gave generously to those in need, and he prayed to God regularly. Okay? One day at about three in the afternoon. Three in the afternoon is a common time um, in the east for people to be praying. All right? You, you pray at nine, you pray at noon, you pray at three. And so the sun is going down, and it's like mid-afternoon, and so you, you pray. And so that's what he's doing. And we know that from verse 30, where he says, four days ago I was in my house praying at this hour. Okay? So it's not just like he's doing his work and then all of a sudden has a vision. No, he's set aside time to place himself before the king of the universe and look for direction. And it's then that he has a vision. And he distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. And he stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? Okay, so Cornelius has set aside time in his day, to put himself before God and seek God's will. All right? Now, go to verse 9. The following day, about noon, as they were on their journey, Peter went up on a roof to pray. Okay, so Peter also has set aside time, middle of the day, to pray. To seek God's direction. And then he has this vision. And the vision is of animals on a sheet. And the voice says, hey, kill and eat. And and basically says, listen, Peter, the Holy Spirit isn't just for the Jews. It's for everyone. He's for everyone. But Peter receives that message because he's put himself in a place to hear. Cornelius has a vision because he had set aside some time to seek God's will. This general in charge of, of, I'm sorry, the centurion in charge of many, think the Roman Norman Schwarzkopf, has set aside time in his day to hear from God, to be directed by God. There's someone in this church a few years ago who I met with for lunch who said they every day 
take all their dreams. I, I had a, an idea and a vision and a dream, and I, I went to this person and said, hey, what, you know, what do you think? Would you be willing to help us out? He said, yeah, it's, it's a good idea. I like it. Um, have you put this before God in prayer? I said, yeah, I prayed about it. He goes, no, have you put it before him? I go, what do you mean? He goes, well, I have a desk with everything that I want to see happen with my plans, but I don't necessarily know if they're God's plans. And this is a challenge, okay, people? I don't always know when it's me and when it's God, and I'm sure maybe you're on that journey too, and I'm an explorer trying to figure it out, right? One squirrel trying to tell another squirrel where to find a nut or something like that. And he said every day he puts these things before God, and he puts his hand on them and just prays. God, show me your direction with this. If you, if you want it to stop, then close the door. And show me your direction with this. And if this is your will, then open the door. And I'll walk through it boldly and in faith. It doesn't mean that you won't encounter challenges, but when you're called by God, you know that he's lead blocking, right? It was like the moose on Dallas when they used to have a good um, running game, Dallas Cowboys. Cowboys fans, it's as bad a season for you as it is for Lions fans. But the Moose Johnson, everyone talks about Emmett Smith and what a great running back he was. But everybody knows Emmett Smith just had the best line. I was a Barry Sanders fan as a Lions fan. And Barry Sanders is a better running back than Emmett Smith. And I will take that to the grave. He's a better running back than Emmett Smith. But Emmett Smith always had these killer years. All the dude could do is run straight ahead. He, he didn't have a lot of juke move. Barry could like, was doing everything on his own, like getting around, spinning. He would run 50 yards and gain a yard. And it was entertaining. But, but Emmett Smith would just, boom, right ahead. Because he had the blockers. Leon Lett, the famous, uh, you know, kicked the ball. Um, but he had like 300 pounds, six foot seven. And then he had this fullback, Daryl Johnson, the moose, they called him, right? And this guy, I mean, would just pummel dudes linebackers, like his goal was to make the defense hurt. He loved it. And he would come through a hole, you know, 200, whatever he was, 50 pounds, just looking for somebody to smear. Boom! And and Emmett Smith, what did he, he ran behind that. So don't tell me Emmett Smith was better than Barry Sanders, okay? (laughs) He wasn't. He just had better blocking. And that's what God does. That's what God does. And he says, hey, I'm going to blow the hole open you take the ball and run hard, right? You go run hard. And you're going to get tackled, but that's only second down. If you don't know football, this analogy means nothing. <laughs> and I really apologize. <laughs> I guarantee you there's enough people who know football, so just ask somebody. Say, what is he talking about? It's a lead blocker. What is the thing that God is inviting us to ask. How many of our prayers go unanswered because they go unasked? This story is beautiful because on the one hand you have Cornelius praying and then Peter praying and then Cornelius sends for Peter and Peter comes and Cornelius tells him later on what happened. Cornelius says, this was the vision. This was the dream that I received. Peter says, well, this is what the dream I received. And they're connected in this amazing and mysterious and odd way through prayer and the spirit of God. 
And the Holy Spirit later in Acts 10 comes on many, comes on many, both Jews and Gentiles. The Holy Spirit comes as a result of, yes, what the Holy Spirit did, but partly because of their faithfulness to prayer. Their commitment to every day just show up. To show up and put themselves and posture themselves before God. It's in that place, in that space of prayer, that God just makes an ordinary rooftop a center for world change. Peter, on the top of this roof, just gets a vision from God about animals, and the world changed because of it. The gospel went out to the Gentiles because he put himself in a place where he could hear from God, where he could open himself to the movement of God in his life, where he could see the vision. Years ago, we were at a retreat, and um, this is, these are just, you know, there's always stories that come out of this, but a group of us, and I've shared parts of this story before, were praying for, for each other. There was senior uh, young guys, and we were sitting around praying for each other, and these dudes could pray. These dudes could pray. They can pray. They prayed in amazing ways. Blew, blew me away how they would pray for each other and listen to God's spirit. And when they, when they saw something for somebody else, they would pray for that for them. And there was young, one young guy who, who, who just seemed like he, he, everything we would pray for him, it was like it would bounce off. And so finally somebody in our group just asked, is it okay if I pray in a different way? And we were like, you know, okay, let's go. Well, yeah. And so this person prayed, and they, it was loud, and um, we didn't understand what they were saying. And then we said, does anybody have, like, an interpretation of what they just said? And somebody had something, but that didn't seem right. It didn't seem like that made any sense. And so we asked the person that we prayed for, what, what did they say? And he said, I know exactly what they said. They were saying, open sesame to my soul. And while they prayed, I felt like all the knots and everything that had been tied up in here for years about my dad leaving me, about different ways that I've been neglected, all of that just was like loosened. And it was like my heart just got opened. And whatever they were saying was untying all of that. Open sesame for my soul. <laughs> it's like, yeah, that's, that's great. Open se- that's in a book somewhere I read. Of. Open sesame for my soul. Prayer, the opening sesame for the soul, right? And when we posture ourselves and put ourselves in a position to invite God in, to say, God, your will be done. <laughs> what, what does that look like? What could that look like in our life? What could that mean for our neighbors? What could that mean for our workplaces? What could that mean for our families? How many frustrations don't we have in our families? That I, I confessed this to our parent patio um, a week and a half ago. Was just, um, I'll be honest, I, I, I can t- count the number of times I prayed for my kids this week um, on my hand. I mean, it's this, this entire week. I can count the number of times that I asked God to connect with them. I'm not talking about keep them safe. God's not interested in keeping us safe, okay? I'm not talking about like on the road, you're driving, God keep them safe. You can pray that, 
But, you know, God is much more interested in seeing his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. That's not always safe. It means your kids, our kids may leave us and go somewhere else. It may mean that they have to walk through something really challenging. And I was just talking with somebody today about how hard that is to watch our kids struggle. But they may in that struggle find a comfort and a peace and a hope that they can then profess for others. The prayer is not, God, keep them safe. The prayer is, God, heal, comfort, meet, restore, use them for your glory. God, change the world through our children. Change us through our children. Change our neighbors through our children. God, may they be the salt, may they be the light. Don't ask God to put them in the closet and keep them safe and lock the door until they're 18. Ain't nobody got time for that. Our prayers for our kids should include them being these transformational agents in the world. I'd like to give you a moment to just sort of sit and ponder and invite Beth to come up and just play the chorus for the next song. For a moment, here's what we're going to do. We have 21 days until Advent. We have 21 days. What would it look like as a community if every day, we came up with this this morning around the piano in our prayer time, you set your alarm on your phone. Cornelius is praying at 3 Peter's praying at 12 because that's what you do in the East. We don't necessarily have a common time of prayer until today. Set your alarm. If you're super holy or whatever, you can set it for both times. But choose one of these. Um, 7.21 a.m. Set an alarm on your smartphone. If you don't have one, just remember and pinch yourself or something. 7.21 a.m. or 7.21 p.m. or both. And I want to invite you to consider what is that, that thing that God wants you to do, that place of prayer in your life, that thing that maybe has gone unasked. Maybe it's the restoration of a relationship or of a marriage. Maybe it's seeing someone who's lost come to Christ. Maybe it's someone in your family that you want to see come to Christ. Maybe it's healing that you want to invite in your life or in someone else's life. And you're just saying, God, here it is. Here's the dream. Maybe you're longing for a spiritual gift. Maybe you're afraid in your faith. For me, this morning as I was driving to church, it was, God, that home is not my home. That's just the house that I'm living in for now. But it it could be a real amazing place for transformation. You've already changed me because of it. Who Who else could you work in through that house? And so for the next 21 days, my prayer is just, I would love to see a gathering of people there, Lord, but I don't know what that looks like. So for 21 days, my prayer is, what do you want to do in that space? To change that from an ordinary place to one for transformation. 21 days. We want to invite you to just submit yourself to God and pray for that thing that that maybe you've grown tired of praying for, Maybe it's, it's been there for a while and you just haven't prayed for it. It's been a worry. It's been something that frustrates you and you get angry about. And instead of talking to him, we talk to other people. It's a boss who just doesn't know what they're doing and you're frustrated by it and you haven't brought it to God. 
It's a coworker who just is like snarky and mean and, and just frustrates you to no end and you haven't brought it to God. We've told our friends and we've told our other coworkers and we've never brought it to him. It's a patient. It's a, it's a student. It's a classmate. It's bring it before God. So for the next 21 days at 721 a.m. and p.m. if you want or just choose one. We're going to bring those things before God together. We're going to watch him move. We're going to ask the thing that we haven't dared to ask before. Maybe he's calling you to a more formal ministry. There was somebody up here today that already speaking that I said in the back, a year from now, that person's going to be preaching. Maybe not. Maybe God's calling you to, to... Take a prayer walk in your neighborhood to pray for the neighbor who's the alcoholic. Maybe you're the alcoholic. (laughs) Maybe you every night before you go to bed are like a four, five wine, glass of wine kind of a person. And you realize that it just like numbs you. It just numbs you. It just numbs you. And maybe you say, God, I don't want to be numb anymore. I want to be alive. I want to be alive. Make me alive. And for 21 days, your prayer is here it is. Here's my addiction. Here's the thing I'm chained to. Take it, take it, take it. Or maybe it's your neighbor. Take it from them. Or your friend, take it from them. A few weeks ago, one of my friends uh, at the river was in a prayer meeting and they prayed for his business. And he said, I don't, it's hard for me sometimes to like believe this kind of thing and to believe that God is actually working on my behalf. But um, he goes, I got these calls from people. It's just like a connection and a connection and a connection. And um, he goes, I think it was because of those prayers that, that we asked on behalf of my, on my business. God will do that. He'll do that. Maybe just to show you that he's there. He's a personal God. He's a real God. So we want to give you a moment just to think about that. Where is he inviting you to ask a prayer that he might answer it and show himself good and true and real? Just give you a moment to think about that. And then I'll close. we've seen you move in the past. We've seen you respond in amazing ways as your people who are called by your name humble themselves and pray. We've seen you bring healing to this land. We've seen you bring healing to our relationships. Lord, we've seen you bridge gaps that were before unbridgeable. We've seen you sort of just wipe away sin in people's lives, remove addiction and death and bring life and peace and grace. And so, God, we ask for clarity. Would you give us the courage to ask boldly? Would you make us um, just unafraid? Remove our fear. Take away our, our anxiety. Take away our worry. Take away our stress. Take away the anger that we might have nothing else but you. 
And then open our eyes as we see you at work. Open our eyes. May the scales come off. Lord, we ask in faith that you would do a mighty thing among us in the next 21 days as we remain open to your work in the world. As we remain open to you. Lord, make us bold world changers. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.